Welcome to The Freedom Factor. I'm your host, Oliver Bardwell. Today we have a special interview for you with presidential candidate Ryan Binkley. This will be the first in a series of interviews with our candidates as they make their way through Iowa. We met up with Ryan at Big Bar and Harley-Davidson after Joni's Roast and Ride event last weekend and had a great conversation with him, his wife, and his team, followed by dinner at Eatery A. His media manager, Andrew, attached a couple of lav mics to us, and I was able to ask him a few questions about his life, philosophy, and his campaign. I think the main thing that I took away from this interview was how truly kind Ryan is and sincere when he says that he wants to bring unity to our country. I hope you enjoy the interview. It's great to be with you. Uh, it was great to be here today in Iowa and be at the uh, Ride and Roast. It was just an amazing time uh, hearing great speakers, great leaders of our country. And so it's great to be with you today. And for and, everybody that's listening, we're in the Harley Davidson shop yes. in the big barn and in, in their conference room. Yeah. So if you hear yeah. loud Harleys going on, uh, there's a reason or a bell ringing because they sell a motorcycle. <laughs> that's what happened here just a few minutes yeah, ago. Yeah. Well, it's great. Anyway, great to be with you. So this happened. So I'm a businessman and I'm a, and I'm a pastor as well. So as people get to know me, um, my dad and I co-founded a business in mergers and acquisitions 20 years ago. So my dad had a consulting business and um, and I joined him about 20 years ago. And then I went back and got my MBA. Then we started doing investment banking, actually brokering businesses, helping them merge with other companies. And then we started putting together sell-side plans for business owners. And so my background's in finance and marketing and sales strategy, uh, growing a company. And so now we've that's the primary business we have, but we help business owners grow. Uh, you mentioned you're an entrepreneur as well. Right. So we help business owners grow their business. We also have a wealth management firm. I'm also in uh, uh, some of the best hot ch- Nashville hot chicken in the world, Dave's Hot Chicken. I own the Dallas County <laughs> franchise of that. So I'm into quite a few things and um, entrepreneur as well. But our business has grown. We have about 350 employees across the nation and in Canada and, uh, and about 16 offices. And then I'm a pastor also. So before we did business, my wife and I, um, we were we met in Atlanta, Georgia in the mid-90s, and we did full-time ministry together. So I was in business before then with Procter & Gamble and Boston Scientific, and then I felt a call to ministry. I went on a mission trip to Guatemala, you know, almost 30 years ago, and I felt a call to ministry. And so we geared our lives towards ministry. And then we actually came on staff at our church right after we got married in 1999. And then a tragedy hit my home in Dallas, and uh, my brother was killed by a drunk driver in 2001 on Martin Luther King Day. And we prayed about it, and God told us to come back and help my, my dad, and we'd do business and ministry. So that's been the our journey in life, and we, we raised five kids. We have five kids, 13 to 23 years old. And about eight years ago, Oliver, um, out of the middle of nowhere, God gave me a dream about running for president of the United States. And God has led me that way through prophetic dreams many different times. He began speaking to me about it. At first, I ignored it completely. I thought, there's, I don't know what God you're talking about, you know, because I had a dream about it. And, um, but I also had a dream that night. I shot a hole in one in golf. And I tell people, <laughs> 
I'm a golfer. So both of these are very important things. I don't want to say which one's more, more important, <laughs> but uh, I actually did hit a hole in one golf a few years ago. So, uh, but anyway, um, over time, th- these messages just kept coming to my heart. And then I began feeling like this is what I'm supposed to do. And so in the, all the ways that God would speak to you, he has spoken to us on this journey about this. And and uh, now he's, get, he's given us a real voice and a heart for our nation. And I think a message from him on what it's going to take for our country to turn itself around. And what do you see as some of the biggest problems we're facing right now in our country? Okay, so two major things. To me, everything stems from these two things. We have a cultural problem and we have a financial problem. If I put them in practical terms of what we need to do, it's almost like we need a spiritual revival and we need an economic revival in our country. And when these two things marry and they get fixed, everything else can get fixed. Our healthcare, our border, where we, how we lead diplomatically, how we lead internationally. Uh, we cannot lead internationally unless we're fixed domestically here financially. Uh, we can't fix our border unless we do things culturally correct here. We can't fix the heart of some of the problems until we can get into it and talk about it. But I think both of them, we have a cultural problem. We're so divided. And I read an article recently, the number one word that describes the culture of our country is divided. Wow. And how how would you propose to create unity as president? Yeah. So we hear not every president goes for this. In fact, we're in a pretty toxic culture right now. In fact, if the more divided you are, the more Facebook followers you get or the more news you get. Um, I'm kinda, I kind of crack up sometimes because I, I laugh at some of the people that are, you know, in a, good, in a fun way that, that are actually just saying some things that are pretty crazy just so they can get on the news or whatever. But I actually feel this, that first of all, you have to want to. You have to see the need for it. Um, we just got out of a great, you know, session here with, you know, presidential candidates. And a lot of them have some great ideas on what it's going to take uh, and what we need to do as a country. I would, tell, I would call it identifying the problems. We've got a financial problem. We have a border problem. You know, we, have, we're, we can't compete against China right now. How are we dealing with that? Are the cultural issues fighting woke and fighting the left? Everybody identified the problem. But... I've got got some thoughts on how to really fix the problem. What's the root of the problem? Pick one of those. Pick the one that you think is the most important and tell us how or what your thoughts are on how to fix it. This is it. So to unify, we've got to quit dividing ourselves on all these topics. And we actually have to unite ourselves on the things that we all share. So there's some problems that we have that are they're not a, a Republican or Democratic issue. They're an American issue. So, for instance, let's take our budget. Um, we are $32 trillion in debt. Uh, right now, you know, $700 trillion, million dollar, billion dollars a year is going out to pay interest on that debt. And pretty soon it'll be a trillion dollars a year in interest payments. And I'm telling America, we don't have the money to make the interest payment. We have to print money to make the interest payment. So this new debt bill that just came up, all this did was approve as an extra $2 trillion a year to go in debt every year for the next two years. So we're in deep trouble financially. This is not an American issue. I mean, excuse me, a a Republican issue or a Democratic. It's an American issue. And so here's what we've got to do. We've got to communicate to America how big this problem is in a real way. And Republican leaders in the past, we haven't done a good job of that either. So under President Trump, you know, we went seven and a half trillion dollars under debt 
you know, while we were in deficit, while we're doing the, his four years in office, much of that due to COVID, but two and a half trillion in the first two years. So it's not really been Republicans haven't really been leading this charge like we used to. You remember the Tea Party? Oh, you know, yeah. t- I mean, where's the Tea Party gone? You know, where is now we're starting to hear it again because we're seeing how much trouble we're in. We've actually printed 40 percent of our nation's money supply in the last five years. So the reason we have inflation is because we've got we've just printed money galore. And now this means we've just got money circulating everywhere. So it's devalued. So the banks are struggling. And then with interest rates rising, all of our banks are struggling because the assets they hold, treasuries, they've just been devalued by 20 percent. And so now if there's if there's trouble with banks, there's trouble in our country. They don't make loans like they used to. And so this is kind of where we're at right now. Um, we're in a difficult spot. So what do we have to do? We have to figure out that this is an American problem. We have to unite on it. And I would say this, it's time for Americans to buckle up and to make some sacrifices for the next generation. Right. Like I'm right. talking to people, Americans every day. We've been here enjoying Memorial Day weekend in Indianola uh, this past Monday. We're here today honoring veterans. Uh, these are people that have made sacrifices, the ultimate sacrifice for our country. And I thought about this, Oliver, you and I are probably the same age. You know, what is our generation going to be known for 50 years from now? What kind of sacrifices are we making for the next generation? And I think this, if we don't fix our budget crisis today, we will be known as the generation that, that prospered the most, but sacrificed the least. And what's the first step that you see in fixing that budget crisis? Well, we've got to communicate, first of all, to everybody that it's a real problem. And then we've got to communicate this, that we have to put a roadmap to a balanced budget together. And then we have to work on it. I don't think we can have a balanced budget year one, but probably by year two or three, we can probably put start whittling down the, the deficit that we have every year and get together a budget you know, for that. And then after that, start paying down debt, which might be if, just like if you and I had a huge debt, you know, house too big to pay for, you decide I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna foreclose on it. You get with your family, your wife, and you say, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna pay this thing off. It may take 20 years, but we're going to pay it off. And that's what America needs to do. We need to pay down our debt. We can't leave our kids and our grandchildren saying, oh, thanks for the great life. Here's $50 trillion in debt. And that's right. the road we're headed down. Right. So we have to see it, decide together, what do we want to do about it? Same with a border. We've got a, we've got a problem. Uh, Republicans want a secure border. We heard it shouted all day today. We're right. going to secure right. the border. Everybody right. shouts yes. And I do too. We need to secure the border. But but under the last administration, President Trump, we had the House and the Senate and he did secure the part of the southern border for a while. But he actually did it with no money because he couldn't get funds from our from the Congress. And it takes leadership. And I would say this bipartisan leadership to get that done. Uh, if we're unless we're hoping that the Republicans have the majority of the House and the Senate, there's no way we can really fund the border. I'm not talking about just the southern border, but I'm talking across Arizona and California. If we tried to do something without Democrats being involved, Gavin Newsom would just allow everybody to come right through there. And so we'd have some serious problems still. So we've got to unite to fix this problem. Well, and, and I, you know, you heard some folks say today maybe about using our military to help secure the border because we're securing other borders in other countries. And we have, you know, 40,000 troops in Germany and whatever else. What are your thoughts on well, that? Well, it still costs money. And so, you know, if we, you know, it's going to be increasing the defense budget at some level or if you're going to decrease it in other areas. And they weren't specific on that, where you're going to move resources or assets in, in case. And, and what I'm all for that. But what they're saying is, is that I don't think I can get anybody to agree with me to help do this correctly, which is to get funding for it and to do good, take care of it. Sure. So this is where we're at. Presidents in the past several you know, administrations have only passed one major piece of legislation 
And that's it. So Trump got the tax cuts in. Biden got the Build Back Better program in there. Then he does a little expansion piece or whatever, but no major. And he's and he's probably done for the next two years as well, unless he can get bipartisan support. So we we typically only pass one piece of legislation. Then our presidents are left with 300 plus executive orders. Right. Only to be undone by the next president that comes in, as was promised today on day one by several politicians to undo every one of, you know, President Biden's executive orders. So, so how we, would you do it differently? We've got to, We've got to lead. We've got to lead people. This culture of division we have, where we are fighting each other, vilifying each other, where we are looking at people that we disagree with as a whole, you know, on one side or the other, not realizing that there's about 70% in that other group that actually we're pretty close to. I'm telling you, I pastor a multicultural church and our church is not all Republican. And I tell people this too, you know, I'm Republican, true and true. In fact, I'm actually more right than most Republicans because I actually believe in a balanced budget of which I don't hear a lot of talk about. I'm actually really believing that. So I'm as far right as you can get fiscally. But I think we need to start connecting to the heart of the hurting because Christians that I know that are Democrats are not Christians because they believe in this far woke agenda. They're, they're, excuse me, Democrats because they believe in a far woke agenda. They are Democrats because they like the message that the Democratic Party and how they connect to the immigrant and the poor. And so when we look at our country today, this is what we have to recognize is that the Republican Party lost 46 of the top 50 metropolitan areas by population. Joe Biden won the top 24 in a row by population. I'm from Texas. First of all, we're a red state, not near as red as Iowa. We're trying to work on it, pray for us. Right. But it is a it is a purple state a little bit. And the reason is because all these people from California are moving over. So funny. We have we have billboards every other November, you know, <laughs> saying welcome California. Uh, but election time, please remember why you left. Do <laughs> so, you really? Yeah, so they get popped up Holy everywhere. Holy cow. So That's it's a lot awesome. of fun. But the reality <laughs> is, is that they don't forget. Uh, so, you know, they go back and they vote the way they want. And so here's what's here's what's happening in Texas. The Democrat Party in this last general election and in Joe Biden, he won Dallas. He won Houston. He won San Antonio. He won Austin. And for the first time in 65 years, won Fort Worth. Fort Worth is the most wow. conservative North Texas major city. And so it is the most conservative part major city in Texas. And it went for the first time. So we have to recognize that our message is not the Republican message is not resonating with the heart of urban America. Yeah, I think the Republican Party has a problem with their messaging, for sure. So I agree. And, and part, I wonder, too, if part of that isn't the media loves to vilify the Republican Party for everything they do as well. It's 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 true. I think they certainly do that. And we don't have a lot of friends in the media, um, except for a few big media sources. But at the end of the day, it's going to take a leader that decides to to transcend even our base and reach out in a new way. I'll give you a thought. Um, my wife and I, we did young adult ministry for 17 years before we started our church nine years ago. So we founded our church and we're senior pastors there. We worked with college students up to in their mid-20s or late-20s. And this is what I know about young people. They, they will not follow a parent if they weren't authentic with them. At some point in their life, if the parent didn't go, Oliver, 
I just blew that conversation. I mean, I got lost my temper. I'm just sorry. I mean, I just had a bad day. Right. There's no authentic moment in those teenage years. When they get to college, they're going to go, whatever faith they had, they're not, I'm not traveling with that. They won't follow a politician or a professor either. And so they're not connecting with our leaders if there's no authenticity there, meaning here's who I am. Here's who our party is. Here's what we believe and Here's why we think it's really important. But can I communicate in a way without degrading all of your friends? Right. Because right. if I degrade all of your friends along the way, they're going to go, listen, if I can be a success, but I can't take some of the hurting with me, I don't want it. And what do you mean by that? Well, degrading your friends. College students today, they they want to believe in something. And I think Vivek said this well today. Yeah, they want yeah. to believe in something. Yeah. So what do they want to believe in? They want to believe that they can be successful and that other people can be successful too. The most hurting in society. I think right. they, they want right. to know, do, you, do we care about the immigrant? Do we care about the poor? If we don't have a plan for them and it's just us making it, I think they're idealist. They want to, they want, they want more. And so usually then when they get out of college for 10 or 15 years, then they start paying taxes and they start going, okay, well, you know, I can't give them everything. Right. And so, you know, it's been said a lot of times of college students, if, if they're not liberal when they're in college, it's because they don't have a heart. And by the time they're 30, if they're not Republican, it's because they haven't got a job yet. So there's some, right, <laughs> there's some there's, right. it's just a joke. But, but well, so we'll, we've seen that seep into our school system yes. at the elementary, junior high and high yes. school level as well. This, um, Kind of woke oh, it's, it's it's really tough. So what do we do? This is what I'm. Well, this is what I mean. I feel like we've got to have a message, and this is what we're trying to convince urban America that a small government that has a balanced budget that doesn't have any more money is actually better for urban America than a socialist government. They're getting two messages today. Right. And so this is the plan of our country. I believe God created our country to be this light post of freedom where we can enjoy freedom of press, freedom of speech, freedom of capitalism. I mean, everybody comes to America to live this dream, you know, that you can do and become anything you want to be. This is this what you and I do, right? This is the American dream. I want to innovate. I want to start a business. I want to, I want to do what I want to do. I want to run for president of the United States. I mean, you can do and become anything. But this message of socialism has crept in so much, and it's darkened that brightness of freedom quite a bit. And so it's time for us to brighten that lamp up again. But we have to recognize this, that the people that's outside of this message, this tent of our message, they're looking at us going, how do I, how do I get there? Right. How do I get there? Meaning if you're hungry, truly hungry, which about 11% of America goes home hungry every night. If you're in poverty and you don't know where next week is coming from, there's certainly that in rural America. You described your childhood earlier to me, just, you know, I'm sure there was right. moments where it right. was just tough. Now you worked your way out of, you had a different culture I could tell already. Not everybody has that family culture that you had. And, but if you're really struggling financially, a message of socialism, we have to admit, can be very compelling. So we've got to go in there and say, okay, hey, I think this is a wrong plan for you because here's what it develops. A fractured, bloated government of high inflation with, with actually a fiat currency that's not going to work long term. That you're never going to be able to truly probably fulfill the American dream. I mean, you're not going to be able to afford that apartment. We're seeing that right now. $1,900 a month for a one-bedroom apartment in these big city areas and more. They have to come home to live with their parents after college or they have to uh, get four roommates. 
which is happening. Yeah. So now we've got to say this. So what does this message mean? And this is what I think. This is what we have to do. It's not a government program. I'm calling on businesses, leaders just like you and I, major corporations, churches, individuals. Let's do this one thing. Love our neighbor. Own our city. What would happen if right here in Des Moines or right here in Dallas, Texas, that we owned leaders owned our city and we said, what do we want to do about these most hurting areas that have a we're 15 percent and and Larry Elder mentioned this today, and it's very true. Only about 15% of minorities in urban America are reading at their eighth grade reading levels. It's not greatly better in suburban areas, only about 55 to 60%. So we've got a huge education problem. So what do we, how do we go fix that without it being a government program? And this is what I'm recommending. Businesses, let's go in there and do job training programs. Let's do education programs. Let's start a volunteer movement with college students. Do you remember the Peace Corps from like the 60s and 70s? So I'm like, college students, you want to change the world? You want to change America? You want to change the culture of our country? You really want to start a movement? Let's forget politics. I told a recent group of young people, we had about 60 people, young kids over there, um, college age kids at our um, campaign headquarters about three weeks ago. I said, abandon politics. You hate it already. You know, you don't like any leaders anyway. (laughs) Abandon it. But join me in a movement to love our neighbor. What would happen if we all spent five hours a week teaching a third grader how to read at the right reading level? Fifth grader taught him math. An eighth grader. What would happen if we all did that, did you know that whole system that could get upended in a year, two years? It doesn't take long. It could we just with a year of mentoring, we could start getting kids back on the reading level again. So that's an example of bringing and leadership, you, leadership you, instead of government. How do you get these young people to take action and take that kind of action? Because what we hear is, well, we need to tear it down or we need to tear down the system. And I've spoken to some of these folks, and it's less about actually doing something that is about complaining about something. And we've got to lead. We've something. got to lead through it. So right. right now, we have leaders that just lead by division. All we do is just sit there and name call them. We vilify each other, and then, then they take sides. And you know, I'm not running for office to come pull our country over to the right just a little bit more. There's ten other candidates that can get involved in that tug of war and pull us a little bit more to the right. I'm running because I feel called to change the culture of our country. I I, I feel called to change to speak that. We've got to start uniting to solve our biggest problems. We have a healthcare crisis in America, and not one candidate today has talked about it. But we've got 40% higher inflation in healthcare than we do regular inflation for the last 20 years. It's eating away our economy. It's eating away our economy, and there's nobody doing anything about it. So here we have. We have health care that's just increasing all the more in health care. I don't know. You look at your health care premiums, oh, gosh, how fast they go it. up yeah, yeah. every single Everybody and, and nobody's that. income goes up 20 yeah. percent a year. And so what do we do? We've got to bring competition back to health care. We, th- we've let this go. Remember when everybody complained about the one payer system with Obamacare, like we really rallied against that. And that was the right thing to do. But really, we've already socialized health care already. It's the only thing that you and I purchase and that Americans purchase on a routine basis 
that we no longer ask how much does it cost when we walk in the door. We're here at Harley Davidson Motorcycle. Right. Nobody's buying a motorcycle without seeing a sticker price on there. Right. If you right. and I bought a hamburger up here, we it says it right there. You know, five ninety nine, eight ninety nine, whatever it is. It's you know, when we walk into a doctor's office, they can't even tell us. If you and I went to the same place on the same day and we asked him how much, one, they wouldn't tell us. Two, they couldn't because even if they could, your insurance company might have might have negotiated a different rate than mine. And so we've got a problem. We have to just bring. It's not going to be an easy fix. Transparency. How much does it cost here? Competition back. Putting patients back in charge again. We can't let it keep running away. Now, but but this is what I'm telling. It's going to take us realizing this problem. I mean, there's a lot. You talk about deep state. You talk about a lot of self-interest. Talk about a lot of money and resources in the healthcare industry. Lobbyists. We're going to have to recognize and communicate this problem to American people and go, how long are we going to put up with 40% regular inflation higher than regular inflation? How long? It's eating away our country. We can't keep doing it. We have to just do the right thing. What about the environmental issues that we're seeing? Are they, you know, with your background, what do you think about the ESG scores and all of that stuff that's I mean, going into we've got corporations? To, we've got to just, I mean, honestly, we have to let competition, you know, bring out the healthiness of, a, of, our, comp, of our companies and corporations again. I think we should treat people fairly. I think we should treat our environment fairly. I think we should do our very, very best. But at the end of the day, nobody does energy better than America does. So we're going to allow other countries to do it a lot worse than we do, you know. And so I believe that there's good stewardship that we should all be accountable to and that we should have. But but we certainly shouldn't be importing energy from other countries or begging them to supply more so we can get along good and not have, you know, too much inflation, which has been where we've been. We need to be energy independent, uh, but we need to be fiscal. We need to be stewards over our, our, our world. And I think we are. Um, we're kind of letting things the tail wag the dog a little bit in many of these social and cultural areas. And, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the cultural issues and the need for a new revival in, in the spirit, you know, yeah. in, the spiritual, in the spiritual realm of things. Um, how do you, what are your thoughts on this gender identity problem that we're having in our nation right now? You know, um, I, I can honestly speak to somebody today and go, you know, I, I cannot imagine a deeper conflict somebody could possibly be having than at any point in their life for them to be wondering what gender are they. Uh, my heart goes out to them. To, to you will deal with that conflict. I can't even, I'm a pastor. We do have somebody that's dealing with that, you know, and, and in our community. And then we've seen other people with the issues and my heart goes out to anybody dealing with that. However, in this debate of, of um, the influence and the expansion of it, we have to have a different narrative than we're having today. And I really think love is the answer for it and truth. It's like I can tell you the truth, but if I don't tell you with any sort of care or love, nobody's going to hear it anyway. Because what I'm trying to do is convince other people, not just you and me in our base, this is where we do right now. We get in there and we rally our base, but we have to recognize President Trump only won 46.1% of the vote in 2016. And if we don't connect with the 48, 49, 50, right. we're not going to win the next, the next election either. 
the key to us getting any influence done is to connect with people. And I think this, this is what I'll be asking people to do. First of all, we have to protect our children. We're not going to allow this education. We need to t- we're, we're not even in the top 20 in education in developed countries anymore. What are we doing teaching things that only parents should be teaching? We don't need to be teaching any of this stuff in, in school. And under, my administra- and under my administration, we would not. But I would say this, but we need to treat people with respect. So if somebody's dealing with that, let's have a culture of disrespect for people. I would try and try and influence schools and, and states and everyone to let's respect each other. But that in turn, I would ask everybody in the transgender community or, or LGBT community, can you also respect other people as well? Meaning I've got two daughters. If they wanted to compete in sports, then they're in college today. Um, I'd want them to compete with people of their biological sex only. Right. And right. I would have to just say, please respect that. But I would stand strong in that. So tough narrative. Usually when I'm communicating it that way, I see swords start to fall to fall to the ground a little bit. I'm not trying to vilify you like you're the worst human in the world. You're dealing with something. I understand that. But let's let's learn to respect each other. But we have to protect women's rights. We have to protect the privacy of women. We have to protect children. We cannot allow them to uh, start, you know, uh, transitioning at any point in time before they're 18 or 21. And years we've old. done a lot of that in Iowa already. This last session, uh, we passed a bill that uh, will no longer allow minors to basically be, you know, have their breasts removed, you know, or or take cross-sex hormones or things like that. I mean, irreversible, potentially irreversible damage. You can't get a tattoo, you know, when you're a minor. So it's 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 such a great thing that Iowa did that. Yeah, it's I applaud Iowa and I love Iowa for that. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day. But can you believe this is where our country has got to that? We have to make laws to protect children. When when that's the vow of doctors to do no harm, the only vow, true vow they have to make. This is where our culture is so broken that we have to make laws to tell us which bathroom to use. We have to make laws to, this is the, this is where our country, this is why the culture, when I said the spiritual side, and this gets back to my heart as a pastor, when somebody says, well, Ryan, what are you doing as a pastor running? Well, I'm a businessman. I've been in business for many years. We have an economics, financial background. I think we have a lot of good thoughts on how to get our country back financial, but the heart of our country, if I have a gift to connect to that, we need to turn back to God again. And how do you how do you get a country to do that? I you mean, know, we've got school systems that have taken God completely out of the we're, picture. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna allow that to happen again. I think that what's to prevent a student from being able to have a prayer group or have a, you know teachers shouldn't be necessarily leading it. But my goodness, they have the right of freedom of worship, freedom of assembly, freedom to gather. These kids ought to be able to start a prayer movement if they want to. They ought to be able to gather around before or after school and pray if they want to. The bigger issue this is when I'm telling people when I'm saying turn to God again. There's so many blessings things that happen when a nation turns to God. In fact, I would argue everybody wants it. The right and the left actually want it. They just don't want to call it that. Because in the Bible, the blessings of God, when they're defined like in Deuteronomy and Ezekiel, you know what it is? It's there's no war. There's no famine. There's plenty of food for everybody. There's blessings and there's protection and there's no wild animals running through your land. That's what the blessings of God looks like. And there's no plague. Conversely, when there's judgment on a land, 
In Ezekiel, it mentions four different judgments that come on the land. It mentions a plague, it mentions famine, it mentions war, and these wild animals. And I've told people, we've had everything but wild animals. <laughs> I mean, we've just come out of a plague. But where's, where's been our national leaders? Do you remember after 9-11, churches were full? Oh, yeah. We got attacked. We recognized we were vulnerable. We recognized we were in need. We recognized that we needed to pray as a nation. You know, I saw the world pray when DeMar Hamlin fell to the ground and died briefly in the football field. Lamar, mm -hmm. is it Lamar Hamlin? Yeah. And of course I did with him and we were going just shocked to what we saw. But what I saw later was a whole stadium pray, football players kneeling. I saw, the, I saw on television, on ESPN, an analyst bow his head in prayer on national television and nobody got fired. And then I thought, why, why did nobody get fired? Well, that happens when there's a school well, shooting or yeah. something. Yeah, and it comes together. And I thought the reason it came to me was because they saw something they haven't seen before. They haven't seen anybody die on a football field before. So now they're they're faced. Now, aren't we seeing enough of what we haven't seen before? COVID. This war, culture war we're in, have we not seen enough for us to look up and go, should we consider our ways? And when I'm saying look to God again, I'm saying just look and see what his, he said, which is really this. He, he boiled it down to just loving your neighbor. The message wasn't that you had to do a whole bunch of rules. And so I think regardless of your faith that you could all we could all say, boy, it's good to love our neighbor. Yeah. And what would happen? if we did this, because even Christ said it this way, he said, the measure of your greatness is gonna be determined by your care for other people. So all we're talking about is just saying, let's just consider each other. Let's, let's consider our children. Let's consider the immigrant. Let's consider the poor. Let's consider the unborn. Let's consider it. And I think when we do as a nation and we communicate in a way that's connecting to people instead of dividing people, then will have a different cause, I think, even for a woman in crisis. Like for the unborn, you know, Roe v. Wade was overturned last year. Um, but that didn't overturn anybody's hearts. We saw a lot of protests. Yeah, nobody's mind changed. Still abortions are happening. Now they're happening with pills instead of being in a clinic. So did we, is there really less abortions? I don't know that we would know. So if we really want to change it, what do we change? And I, this thought came to me, what if we change the culture of life here by showing care for a woman in crisis? I met with a, uh, a director who's on the board of a crisis pregnancy center in Dallas and I asked him, I said, how many women have abortions because of a financial need? And if it was met for that first year, how many would likely keep their child? The word, the number he gave me was untold. No telling. No telling. Ah. And then, and then this other thought came to me is like, if we really want to change the culture of life here, we have hundreds of thousands of kids in foster care every year that never get adopted. What if, what if America, we start an adoption movement and every child in America found a home, a permanent home? I applaud the foster care parents, but what if we started a movement where said, we just said, you know what? You I think a there's a lot of bureaucracy there that makes it hard to yeah. adopt. It's expensive. It's hard. 
But there's still a lot of kids though, and kids that age out, those are the ones that are suffering the most. So kids that age out, typically, if you look at the stats, they end up, many of them being on the streets, not advancing to higher education. Many of them end up in prison. So we've got a culture, that's the cultural side, the economic side that I'm talking about. I think God wants to heal it. He wants to bring our country back to him, back, which means back to each other, trusting each other again, trusting in God again, and then using wisdom together to solve our biggest problems. We can do it. Yeah. I've got a dozen more questions, but I want to get you to dinner on time. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Great to be with yeah. you. I'd love to be with you again. Yeah. Let's, and, let's uh, do this again as you get down the campaign trail. And if you, you know, this, the name of my podcast is The Freedom Factor. I want to ask you one thing. And I, th- I think I know, and I think it's been apparent throughout the interview, but what is your freedom factor? What is it that really drives you? to be in this race, to be doing this crazy thing, running for president. What is that factor for you? What it is, is it that does that? It is, it is so your kids and my kids can enjoy and have the opportunity that we had. If we don't make these changes, their freedoms are gonna be washed away in the next 20 to 30 years. We're, we're at a precipice right now. We're at a decision-making time. Which way are we going to head? If we as the Republican Party are truly gonna champion freedom, we are gonna to have to convert some people. We're gonna to have to expand our party tent. We're gonna to have to connect with the most hurting. When we do, we're gonna we're gonna have the majority. We're not gonna to have to settle for 46% of the vote. We're gonna win over America. We're gonna win the hearts of America because when we care for the most hurting in society and we do it in a wise way financially, but out of care and love, we're gonna win them. I'm gonna have America back. Amen, brother, amen. All right, well, until next time. Look forward to it, yep. look forward to it. Yep.